produced by young people for young people about the world of sustainability. We talk with leading professionals and changemakers about what it takes to build a more sustainable present and future, sharing the stories, tips, and insights for you to take action. My name is Scarlett, and today I'll be co-hosting this episode with Isabella and Angela. We'll be exploring the issues of gender and educational inequality, specifically in Nepal, and the current initiatives to combat this. We're very excited to discuss this topic today with a seasoned professional and expert in this field, Manal Batari. Manal is a passionate educator at Canopy Nepal and an awardee of UN Women 30 for 2030 as a result of her extensive work in driving gender equality and bringing great change and awareness to the cause. Thank you, Manal, for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on Sustainapod. Hi, I'm very excited to be here and thank you for having me. I hope that we can have a very interesting conversation. To start us off today, what inspired you to become an advocate for gender inequality? So I come from Nepal, which is a country in Southeast Asia, and we're a very small country in terms of geography, in terms of the size, in terms of the socioeconomic background that we come from. We're a developing country, and that means that there comes a lot of challenges on the way and a lot of interconnected challenges that come on the way. So I grew up as a woman in a community where women are the oppressed gender. And I saw this not only in the professional world of Nepal, but also my home life and my school and my community. Just to give you a few examples, one of the major values in Nepal is community and listening to the elders, getting blessings from them. And, you know, growing up, I used to hear other men around me get blessings like, oh, I wish that you get this particular job and earn this much in your life and reach this particular position in your career. Versus for girls, it was mostly, I hope you get married into this family or that you excel in this particular skill that does not really get you money or, you know, get blessings that are not centered to their professional life, but rather home life. And tiny differences that I saw and stuff like that. For example, in school, if there was a sports event happening, the priority would be the guys. And if there was anything related to creativity or self-expression, the girls would be reached out to first. So if it's music or dance or art, the girls are prioritized. And if it's sports, then the guys are. So I could always see this disbalance that was happening in multiple regions and multiple areas in the community. And when I realized that I have this particular set of skills and I have this platform where I can speak and actually advocate for it, which I'm very, very grateful for. I decided that I wanted to get into talking about gender inequality that I see around me. But yeah, that's what inspired me, just seeing what was going on around me. We can all see your passion from your answer. So for the next question, I want to ask what's your current role at Canopy Nepal involved? Yeah. So I work at this NGO called Canopy Nepal. I'm currently leading it as the managing director. What we do at Canopy is we work in the field of education to do two major things. The first one is to make education more accessible in the country. And for the second is to improve the quality of education. And we do this through scholarship programs and implementing interactive learning programs in the schools. And while we work in this as well, we try to prioritize students that come from lower economic backgrounds, students that are migrants into the city. And also we prioritize working with women and young girls like the three of you, which makes me very excited to even be speaking to you because 
this is the exact age range that we work with through Canopy as well. I joined Canopy five years ago when I was an intern, just started, was about to finish my 12th year and I joined as an intern and five years down the line, I'm currently leading the organization. Oh, wow. That's really impressing. And so my question is, why does gender inequality exist in education in Nepal? So there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one of them is just being that gender in itself is not a very equal norm in Nepal or Southeast Asia in particular itself. There has been prejudices that has been seen in multiple areas. And I think when it comes to a platform like education, it's just enhanced a little bit more. When education started in Nepal, it was introduced as an elite system. So the first school that was built in Nepal, in fact, was only available to the high class people and only the sons of these high class people. So when education itself was introduced in Nepal, it was introduced for a very particular group of people. And that has still continued till this date, unfortunately. So if you go to a private school anywhere in Nepal, you see that it's super, super, super expensive. And it's only accessible to people who come from a higher range in the society, whether this be in terms of class or gender or their economic background, versus for public schools or government-run schools that are in the country, the education quality is poor, the budget that has been allocated for it is very, very little. And it's because, again, education is a system, the good education system is only catered for one particular group. So that's why education as a system in itself has a lot of inequalities and gender quickly overlapped that when we could see that difference happening in the society. So the first school that was built for girls in Nepal was an all-girls school, and this was only made for the royal family. And that's because one of the daughters of the kings was like, oh, we also want to get education. So then this king, he built a school for his two daughters, named it after them, and only the royal family studied there. So even with education being introduced in the system for girls, it was still for people that were like way up in power. And then that slowly turned into only government officials, kids going to school, especially girls going to school. And then once the system of private school was introduced, even government schools started charging money for things like books or uniforms. And Nepal is a developing country, meaning that the money that people earn is very, very limited. And for them, they would rather have their son who, quote unquote, will take care of the family in the long term, get the education and get a job, than have their daughter go to school who, quote unquote, will just get married and be sent to another family. And because of these so many structural components that come from it, so many cultural and even religious components that come in the society in Nepal, you can see a lot of gender inequality in the education system. With hearing so many problems of gender inequalities happening in Nepal, I want to ask how does Canopy Nepal tackle the gender inequalities in education? Okay, that's a very interesting question. It puts me in a lot of pressure to, you know, show how we're doing what we're doing. And if you can guess a little bit from my answers that the problem that we see is so deep-rooted in the entire society itself, that we as an organization, whatever limitations we have and whatever programs we're trying to do does not eradicate the problem as much as we would hope to. But some things that we do, which we're hopeful is, you know, turning this to a positive side is 
First of all, I mentioned that we work in schools to provide scholarships to students who otherwise would not have access to education. So for this, we prioritize working with girls. We have over 80% scholars who are women and girls who were on the verge of dropping out. And these girls were on the verge of dropping out because their families needed them to go and work so that they could have more income in the family. And these work would be for 10, 12-year-old girls to go to other people's homes and cook for them or clean for them and things like that. So we made sure that these girls, instead of dropping out and doing things without learning and getting skills, we ensure that they stay in school so that they can actually get high-skill jobs and do get their family out of the poverty cycle. Another thing is that when we select schools that we work with, we do select we prioritize working with schools with female leadership. We work with schools that are all-girl schools so that we can give priority to them. I'm a female leader in a female-led organization, which you know feels very empowering to be in this position. And even the team itself, we're more than 85% of us are women, which makes me very happy to say because in the education system in Nepal, you don't see a lot of women in the leadership position. You do see a lot of female teachers in primary and elementary level, but as you get higher in the level or the hierarchy in the school, you see more men dominating those sectors. So, you know, these are little steps, and I know that as well, but I think these little steps does keep us encouraging to sort of tackle gender inequality in the system. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So, Are there any particular memorable or significant projects that you have done in this field? And what are some improvements that you've seen or observed so far? So this could be in Canopy, Nepal, or outside of that. Okay, so for this, I'd like to give two examples. So the first one is in Canopy itself. We have this program called Kothabuno, which literally translates to weaving stories. And this is one of our interactive learning programs that we go and implement in schools. And for this, we prioritize working with students from middle school, so six, seven, and eight, because I believe that's the age when students really get exposure to the outside world. That's when they're developing their mindset. That's when they interact with their friends. So when we do this program, we teach students how to write stories. And these stories are either inspired from their own lives or any thematic area that we would like them to work towards. And this really depends on the facilitators that we have as well. So people who take sessions in our organization are also young people like you who've just graduated the 12s or are in their earlier years of bachelors who really can connect with these students. And I remember this one particular session when one of our facilitators did a session on around patriarchy with grade six students. And this was an all girls section. And the kids there were 11 years old. And when we asked this team member, are you sure that you can make 11 year olds understand what patriarchy is? This facilitator was like, yes, I'll make them understand and I'll make sure that they write stories about it as well. So we gave our full trust in this facilitator and she went in, she took a session with these students. And there was this one particular student who wrote about This was right after COVID, so right after the schools opened, after lockdown. And there was this one particular student who wrote about this little girl being sexually abused in her home. And with our sessions, what happened is we give one-on-one individual assistance to these students. So we really sit down with them, think about what their inspiration is, really make them understand why we're doing what we're doing and also the topic. And while we were doing this, we figured out that the story that this little girl wrote was about herself. 
So it turns out during lockdown, her family basically had this person from village come in and stay with them during lockdown because he got laid off and didn't have enough money to pay rent. And this guy had been inappropriately touching her since she was 10 year old. And this program sort of gave her a platform to talk about that from a fictional perspective. But when we, you know, talk to her about it and try to understand, she sort of understood that what was happening was not right. And she wrote about it. And we did, we were able to take an action against it. We informed the school and the school talked to the parents and the guy did not stay with them anymore. But, you know, little programs like these, the impact that we see in one little girl when we do this, well, like 20, is still a motivating factor for us to keep going. So that's one thing that happened in Canopy that really does stick with me. The other is with my involvement in UN Women's 30 for 2030 program, we come from around Asia and the Pacific, meaning that we all understand what challenges we all grew up with, which is where I also met Belinda. And we recently worked on developing the second edition of a toolkit, which is basically a youth's guide to tackling online gender-based violence. And with online platform being so prominent, like the fact that we're recording this podcast online with all of us in different parts of the world in itself says how much we can be connected virtually. And, you know, if there's 50% of people who use it for good cause, there are another 50% who don't. So we have developed this toolkit, which basically helps anyone who wants to understand what online gender-based violence is, wants to take action against it, can look at it. And this was a really, really, really long process, but we made this toolkit for youth like you all and hopefully people listening slash seeing this podcast. So I hope that you can implement the toolkit in your day-to-day life as well. But those are the two things that I wanted to highlight. What you do is really impactful, I think. And where I'm from, because I'm from Myanmar, we don't really have rules where, oh, people have to finish secondary school. But I think in the UK, there is laws against education. And so is there any specific policies or legislations that you believe are crucial to advancing gender equality in education? Yeah, I think when you look at gender, it cannot be looked as an independent vertical pillar. I think it's a cross-cutting notion that impacts every single thing that you think about, whether it be religion or politics or education or film industry or music industry, anything that you talk about, I think it's a cross-cutting line. And education is one of the pillars that is really, really impacted by gender. So I think policy-wise, I know that there are a lot of policies, especially if I speak from Nepal's perspective, there are education acts that when you read it, it sounds amazing. Like the Education Act mentions, for example, that every single government school in Nepal needs to have all the sports equipments that the students want, and the government will provide it for free. It also mentions that all the students in a government school will get their books and their copies free of cost. Their uniforms will be made free of cost. So if you look at the act and the policy that is written down, it sounds amazing on paper. But when you actually go to the ground and you assess it and you talk to people and you see that kids are dropping out of schools because their parents can't buy them uniforms, you sort of question, oh, but the access that the school's supposed to buy it, but it's not being implemented. So I think rather than focusing on 
at least for my answer, rather than focusing on new policies that can be made in Nepal's context, we really need to focus on implementing the existing policies, you know, really hold the government accountable for it. And it's easier said than done, especially when you're in a government system that keeps changing. Like Nepal was a monarchy two decades ago. And we recently got democracy and we're still changing every two to three years. We're supposed to have a five-year government, but what happens is the prime minister change every, changes every two to three years because we're not very stable yet. So although we have great rules set in place, the country is so dynamically changing that I think what's important as, it, as of now is to just make sure that whatever we have is being implemented so that once that's implemented, then we can think what's the next step now? What more can we focus on? How more can we incorporate students with disabilities into the classroom for them to make it easier for them and things like that? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of challenges still I can see from what you said earlier. So just continue on from that. Are there any particular challenges that you face when tackling gender and educational inequality? Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems that or challenges that I face as an educator and as a feminist in this field is that people aren't just ready to listen. I'm a very young leader and people in my field, they start their careers in 30s and people who are you know, principals or in leading positions in the education system have probably have more experience than my age. So they have a lot of experience. So when they see a really young person go in there and tell them, hey, look, maybe the way that you're doing thing isn't the best way to do it. And we have an alternative solution. We have a more innovative way of doing it. They Firstly, they just try to dismiss us because they're like, whoa, who's this young person who's coming in here and telling us we're not doing the jobs correctly? So I think that's one of the major challenges that we face is that people aren't just willing to learn or grow out of whatever is comfortable to them in majority of the cases. That's one challenge that we face. Another is more than what we're trying to do. I think it's the system that we're trying to do it in is what brings us a lot of challenge because like I mentioned with the instability that we're seeing right now unfortunately it means that even structures like schools and you know jobs like principals and vice principals aren't very stable and in a very unstable place people don't like to bring more change into the system versus what we're trying to do is bring a change into the system to make it better so because people are skeptical about that it's a little bit difficult to even implement programs or even bring in scholarship programs. If we tell a school, hey, look, we want to pay for your kid's education, they're still skeptical about it. You know, they they don't have anything to lose there, but still they're skeptical about it. So I think it's just that age and range when you're trying to work with a system that's much older than who you are as a team and who you are as an organization. It's one of the challenges that we face. That's very impressive. If I am not in the meeting today, I would not have known there are so many challenges facing in tackling gender inequality. And you are such a young leader. I believe that you made a lot of hard work towards tackling it. So is there any advice you want to give to young activists or individual who want to contribute to the cause of gender and education equality? 
There is one advice that I would give to anyone who wants to address gender in the education sphere, more specifically, is just go and interact with the kid. Just go and talk to kids, listen to them more than speak to them, ask them questions. Any child that you go to talk to, they're very creative. They love talking. So they will speak up. So just go and listen and try to understand what their need is. And then that's where you go ahead and create your social innovation or whatever change that you are trying to bring. If you take a solution and go towards the problem without really understanding what it is that they really need in that particular time, then your innovation may not be as successful as you wish it would. And it could actually be demotivating for you, especially if you're young and you're passionate and you want to make a change and you go forward with this without really understanding what it is that they actually need. It might actually put you a step back. So before doing anything, like in any sector at all, just go and talk to the people that you're trying to do it to. So if it's kids that you want to work with, just go and talk to 10 kids. You know, just listen to what they have to say. Listen to what challenges that they're facing. Could be anything. Could be as simple as their friends not giving them enough lunch that they brought. Or it could be something silly as well. But children do speak up. Like like I mentioned in my previous example about the story that the kid wrote. If they're given a platform to speak, they will. And for anyone at all, just go and talk to the people that you're trying to help and see what you can do from there. And it's okay if you can't. That's why we work in a collaborative manner. If you can't completely, or you feel like you can only address 20% of it, that's when you go and reach out to other people who can. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So how would you say the issue of gender inequality in education has changed from a few decades ago compared to now? So because Like I mentioned, we were in monarchy up till two decades ago. So it has changed drastically is what I would say. So despite me highlighting all these challenges that come into working in the education system, if I'm standing here and looking back in time, it makes me really proud to see how far the education system has come. Just to give you a few examples, there are way more students enrolled in school, not just female students or male students, but just students in general. Parents have started to understand that our kid needs at least a certain level of education level before they start working. So that's really good. There is more female teachers that I see coming forth. There's more passion in the field itself. Unfortunately, up until like a decade ago, people that got into the education field were people who didn't get in anywhere. So education was their backup unfortunately. But now there are more younger people like me, myself, who are more passionate about this. And we're getting into the field because this is a priority and not a backup for us. There is also more inclusion in schools in terms of having a canteen in there and, you know, making skirts not compulsory for everybody, for girls especially, allowing girls to wear pants, having more sports programs in the schools. And random examples like starting schools late. So we work with this one particular school whose school hour is from 11 to 5. And this is an all-girls school. So they did this because they understand that the family does expect, no matter what, for the girls to at least help the family with their morning chores. 
So clean the house, make breakfast, make tea and whatever. So if they, they knew that if they started school at nine, the girls just wouldn't come to school or the family wouldn't send it. But if they started at 11, it would mean that the family would make sure that the girls did the work at their home, which is something that they wanted, and then get to go to school as well. So little structural changes like these are there. And I'm hopeful that this change just takes a peak in the years to come. And there's much more that's developed in the next decade or so. Thank you so much for joining us. And like, I aspire to be like you because I come from a developing country as well. And during summer, I was interning at a hospital and I was talking to people who were like two to three years older than me. And they were supposed to go to unis and they're mainly girls. And basically, they got uni offers from Australia, UK, but then their parents wouldn't let them go. So they just had to stay and work and they couldn't even go to uni. So what you're doing is really, really meaningful. And so thank you for joining Angela, Scarlett and I today on this very special episode and for sharing your insights. And thank you to SustainaPod listeners for tuning in this week with us we would love to hear from you as well about the episode so let us know your questions and comments by messaging us on instagram at sustainapod underscore gih or email us at sustainapod at gmail.com until next time